It's the Saturday Friends Club. Hello, everyone, and welcome, welcome once again to the Saturday Friends Club, your uh, your place that you go on the Saturdays with your ears to <laughs> to listen to people. You, you don't need to go here or go anywhere, really. You just yeah. need to listen. You know, yeah. I mean, you're listening. You're you're going with your your. You had to hit at least one button. Go for it. Go yes. go for it. There, the, there's the motto for the Saturday Friends Club. <laughs> go that, for it. That or we're on shuffle and you're accidentally listening to us. <laughs> to to for which, which point, we apologize. Yeah, you're probably hitting that next button. We apologize. Bye. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but yes, uh, welcome back. This is the Saturday Friends Club, your outlet for nostalgia talk about stuff that we used to enjoy. I am Josh. Over there is Eric. Yep. We have Martin. Hello. Sabrina's here. Yep. And uh, we are uh, we are talking about World War Two, the Great War, the greatest yeah, war, one, the, the greatest generation, the 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 great great war, the, the war to end all wars, the, the war that was great that we have to make great again, the American Revolution, the Civil War of Europe, the the war on drugs, <laughs> <laughs> the war on terror. <laughs> Uh, German well, Nazi terror. Well, I mean, we picked. Uh, I think what we we were originally planning out the next couple episodes, and we we had two fairly like especially we last week we had a kind of satirical war movie, uh, and and Josh requested something a little bit a little bit more weighty, and so I went with uh, this is a this is a classic Eric like pick uh, right here, but this is definitely a movie I saw a lot. As a kid, yeah. So uh, the the topic on choice is the Memphis Bell, or yeah, Memphis Memphis Bell, um, the nineteen ninety movie, uh, and yeah, we watched it. We did. That is going to be our thing. We're going to be talking about World War Two bombers. Uh, we're going to talk about war movies before, like Saving Private Ryan, <laughs> where they just decided to get mega gory. Well, <laughs> yeah. Well, we, we'll get into that. Yes. Yes. Uh, but anything you want to say about your uh, history with uh, this before we get in? Uh, I'm, I'm sure anyone who's a frequent listener, like I, I and I, I grew up in an environment people are a lot of like history and especially military history buffs in my family. And, um, and in this kind of thing in particular, like my, my dad and my uncles grew up, uh, in the kind of post-war generation. And so as kids, they, you know, they learned all about this kind of thing. They built models of everything they learned, you know, that's, I have a long family history and the, the B-17, yeah, which is kind of the focus, one of the big focuses of the story is kind of, a, it, it is an interesting story in of itself in that, like. It's actually it, it's a very iconic uh, piece of like American military history, especially our, our, especially as far as aircraft go. Uh, even though we made more liberators, uh, we we made more liberators than um, flying than, fortresses. Yeah, than any of these, and other other planes were were more effective and built more. But this one has there is a kind of like mystique about the B seventeen, um, and this is the story of the most famous B seventeen. Uh, it, this was apparently based on a book, and then this is, like, this is a kind of a fictionalized account of a of a real plane and real crew. And just in that background, uh, we this is a movie that like this came out the year I was born, and family watched it. And it's it's kind of one of those. It's a little bit quaint by modern standards, especially modern standards of war movies and films about World War II. But uh, I really like I I watched this as a kid. It's a fun movie. It's got some interesting things in it. It's got some like it's it's got some funny quirks of from when it was made, but yeah, there's this this has always been on our shelf at home in VHS or DVD form as long as I can remember. All right, well let's go ahead and get into it. Let's get into the discussion of the Memphis Bell. All right, let's get into this. Uh, Alexa, oh boy, could you tell me about the movie The Memphis Bell? The Memphis Bell. A story of a flying fortress is a 1944 documentary. You, you, you added the it's definite article. Zero hours, <laughs> 45 minutes, and it has an IMDb rating of 7.4 out of 10. That's, All right, that's uh, the other okay. movie. Okay. Oh, the other movie? Yeah, the, you, she just said this. That was a that was a that was a movie made like a long time oh, ago. Oh, that was the documentary. Yes, this is it, just Memphis Bell. Ah, uh, yes. All right. So, Alexis, tell me about the movie Memphis Bell. Never mind. She gave up. <laughs> Let's try this. <laughs> No, I will not, I, I've got. I've I will got not the snippet do this podcast, here. Josh. I've, I've got the snippet here, Josh. No, no, no. We got this. We've you got technology. We're going to use it. But I have other technology. Alexa, tell me about the movie Memphis Bell. Memphis Bell is a 1990 action movie starring Matthew Modine, Eric Stoltz, and Tate Donovan. In 1943, 
The crew of a B-17 based in UK prepares for its 25th and last bombing mission over Germany before returning home to the USA. Its runtime is 1 hour, 47 minutes. It has an IMDB rating of 6.9 out of 10 and is rated PG-13. So there you go. Everything you go. we need. Yeah. I, I will say this, like, okay, this is another thing that uh, about, especially about World War II movies, I, this movie has a very intended audience. And so there's there's a few details about the plot that like if you just watched this movie cold and had no understanding of the war or like the situation like is like what what is the significance of this? And I should say right at the top is that a tour of duty in the in the American Air Force was 25 missions. And the 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 reason this is there's a movie about this is because the Memphis Bell was the first like crew and plane to actually complete a full tour of duty. Um so that that's why it's significant, and they kind of they talk about it in the movie, but it's it's it, like the significance of that is not like super obvious. So, and the tour of duty, like I I actually pulled up the time for the Memphis Bell. The it was only roughly like six months, right? Yeah, because just they would there was so much of a turnaround between each. It was like from November all the way to May. Yes, but it, but it, like especially this is this is 1943. Uh, this is like. Not a great period, and uh, I mean, it's like this is when the war is is shifting, but it's still like this. We're we're in the depths of like the really the, like the, uh, just pulling out of the worst parts of World War Two, and this is like you know the, the whole daylight bombing campaign in Europe, which was as it turns out later of dubious effectiveness, and uh, being a like being on a B seventeen crew is insanely dangerous, as it, like basically you know any kind of combat mission like this. But what is significant about this again is that everyone survived. Uh, there is a real Memphis Bell. Uh, all the names and a lot of the events are changed so they can make this movie. But it is a real plane. Uh, it's being restored in, I think, Ohio right now. It is uh, in Clayton, Ohio. Yeah. So that's probably. I might. I, I wonder where they're going to store it. But I would definitely be interested in going and seeing it. Um, so the Memphis Bell is this kind of like mythical, storied name in World War American World War II history. Um, and it was. And they they mention they make a big thing about this movie of like. We need. We want these guys to survive, and because they got, they're they're going to be this morale booster. It's like you know, finally we have. Like, they survived a whole tour of duty. It's this great accomplishment. And uh, I definitely had models of the Memphis Bell as a kid. Like you could, you'd buy a B seventeen model, and there were kits you could buy that came with all the correct decals and everything, so you could make the Memphis Bell. Um, so yeah, there's a, there's a lot of a lot of history for me in this movie. And let's talk about some of the staff starting, uh, <laughs> or the cast of this movie, starting up at the top with Matthew Modine, a.k.a. One Joker from Full Metal Jacket. Uh, oh, wow, okay. Yeah, That's you didn't true. notice that chiseled jaw? I, I Everyone in this movie looks vaguely familiar. And, and like, the only, only only John Lithgow and Sean Austin are like, I'm like, oh, it's them. Yeah, you got uh, Eric Stoltz, who is known for Mask, The Butterfly Effect, Pulp Fiction, and Some Kind of Wonderful. Yeah, I think he's known for Pulp Fiction. That's yep. the big one. Uh, you have Tate Donovan, who is also known as the voice of of Disney's Hercules. Uh, Billy Zane's in this movie. Yep. Uh, you uh, We've uh, mentioned that um, Lithgow is in this as well. Yeah, you get, you get some ninety early 90s John... This is like Third Rock from the Sun era John Lithgow. He's still, he's, he's still a young spring chicken. Yep. Uh, you know, Mr. Frodo's favorite... Uh, <laughs> Uh, Austin is in this one. Yeah, sure. Sean Austin. Yeah, uh, Aston. yes, Sam. Aston. Sorry, Sam is a like, yeah. Samwise Gamgee is a dick in this movie. He is kind of a jerk there in the front. Mm-hmm. Uh, Billy Zane from Titanic, Back to the Future, and The Phantom. <laughs> yeah, That's a really bad movie. <laughs> the Phantom's bad. What? What? Um, someone who's mentioned on this, uh, like a, an actor of not like he's 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 you know an actor. He doesn't. He doesn't do any. He hasn't done anything terribly like uh, big. But uh, Courtney Gaines, who is one of the is one of the waste gunners in this movie, and he's like the kind of like shrimpy Irish kid. Mm-hmm. Um, I I have a special place for him because he plays um, the radio officer in, or he's like the comm officer in Wing Commander Three, which is like one of my favorite games. I remember playing as a kid, like oh, he was on Memphis Bell. I was like that's funny. Yeah, Harry Connick Jr. is also in this. <laughs> Uh, who, oddly enough, his IMDb seems to mostly link to American Idol nowadays. Hmm. Well, Harry uh, Connick Jr. is... Ah, uh, okay. Maybe that's maybe this is linking to the wrong man. Is there another Harry Connick Jr.? I believe so. Mm. Uh, it just says Harry Connick Jr. It, yeah, it probably is Harry Connick Jr. Okay. 
And he maybe he's just just in for for fun. Just hey, I was on well, set. He was he was he was, an, he was an actor and a singer. He did yeah. both. Sergeant Clay Busby. No, so we got that. So uh, definitely a uh, and yeah, Dace, David Stratham. It's it's got an assemblage of people you recognize as, from other things. So yeah, that it's got a it's got a big staff. It's got a big cast going on it. So. It's good. Uh, sh- should we go ahead and get into it? Sure. I mean, the the beginning part of the movie, I'll say, before they get into flight, is kind of a bit of a walk. Yeah, they, I mean, they gotta they gotta set everything up, and they, they, they like they, they gotta sell you on like, oh, it's the you know these guys, and they're all nervous because this is the last mission. They just need to live through one more mission, and they, I mean, this is like they, they, they yeah they take a long walk to to kind of set this up. You know, John Lithgow comes across as just this kind of dopey, <laughs> you know, just publicist that's just like, yeah, we just need this for the war effort. We need them know? for the war effort. Yeah, I, yeah I, I, John Lithgow's he's an interesting character in that he's like a he's like a he's like a press liaison. He's an army PR officer. Yeah, and so like he pisses off everyone because he's like all about like getting them to you know jab, make the story big, and then the. But the but you know the commander is just focusing on the mission and and everything. And you so, know he goes up on stage and does something. You know everybody's like, oh, you don't do that. You know, you know he he like he gets the three cheers for the crew and he hip hip hooray and then like they do it kind of once, but then everyone's like, no, it's like bad luck and then he, they kind of embarrass him. Um, John Lithgow is that is that character, and then it's it's the standard like all the the characters in this in a war movie who are all like it's all about their existential kind of like, oh, am I going to make it and. What am I going to do when I get home? And, it, and you right. know, has the usual cast of characters of just like the farmer, the Irishman, the doctor, you yeah. know, just like going through. Yeah. Like, and and this this kind of has the same problem with a lot of like ensemble casts, especially in war films, where it's like you have to like you want to make people care about these characters. But there's like it's the entire crew of a B-17. So like there's a lot of people to track. Yeah. Yeah. Not to mention there some performances are more memorable than that. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the other thing, like, and it's also something that, like, I didn't even think about, because it's like, oh, yeah, I know what all the positions on a B-17 are. So whenever they show him, like, oh, yeah, I know who that guy is. I know what he's doing. But I think to someone going into it cold, like, so he's got, like, a gun, but that guy's at a desk. What's going on here? <laughs> and so, like, no, okay, yeah. So they they do a lot of, a lot of the, sh- the of the movie is them, like, because they have to cut and they have to jump around the plane. And it's like, if you know about how, a, you know, a bomber like this is structured, you, you know kind of where everyone is in relation to, to each other. I can see for someone who's not a total weirdo, like, this is kind of weird and disorienting. Yeah, uh, I mean, when they get into the bomber, that's definitely where it gets a bit more white knuckle. Right. A lot more white knuckle, actually. Right. Um, all right, so let's see, in May 1943, the crew of the Memphis Bell, a Boeing B-17 flying fortress of the U.S. Army Air Force, are grounded in England where the aircraft is repaired. The group is under the command of Lieutenant Craig Harriman, David Stratham. <laughs> A, a no-nonsense stoical leader tasked with keeping the pressure on Nazi targets. An army publicist, Lieutenant Bruce Derringer, played by John Lithgow, is visiting the base to interview the Bell crew in anticipation for their flying their 25th mission, a requirement to complete their tour of duty. Derringer is eager to use the crew on War Bonds tour stateside. He believes their success will help the war effort and confides in Harriman the many people back home are upset at the losses the Air Force has suffered. Oh, I should say also that the significance of that also is that if you complete a tour of duty, you get to go home. Right. So like you, you like they're, you're done. And so that's, that's the idea is like, yeah, the daylight bombing campaign at this point, we were losing a lot of bombers and a lot of people getting killed. So that's why this is supposed to be significant. It's like they get to go home. They get to go around and be like do war bond tours and they get to kind of party. So just explain it to me because I'm not as familiar with it as well. What was I mean, obviously daylight bombing is your bombing during the daytime, but right. what, what was what was the the reason and significance of it? So the the reason like this is the thing is in daylight you have a better you have a better chance of being able to identify your targets and shoot them and you know and drop bombs more accurately. The problem is is that also you can be seen. And so like for a long time, daylight bombing was incredibly dangerous because if they if they know you're coming, especially if it's a nice clear day, then the Germans are going to send up flak and they're going to send up fighters to shoot you down. And so they generally is like more resistance. Where if it's at night, it's harder to coordinate a defense against it. But then night bombing is also at this time is more inaccurate because you don't have as good of a target. And they show a little bit, but um, the the bombardier has the has his his Norden bombsite computer. 
It's like a very really early analog computer that was used to target, uh, like you, that would that would give you an accurate or somewhat accurate uh, uh, position to bomb from. And even then, at this time, people think about it, don't really think about it, but like the bombs are like really inaccurate at this time. And even with this computer, and it was, it, and that's the thing, the computer also was connected to the autopilot on the plane. So at some point, the pilot says, "Okay, it's all yours." And you could actually, like, you could kind of sort of control the plane with this Norden computer, um, and it would let you make small adjustments, and it would keep the plane just kind of flying level. And it's got a little crosshairs that you look through, and you'd, you'd line it up with your target, and, and they, they have him, like, dramatically about to press the button. That would, that would unle- like, drop the bombs. But, um, so yeah, day, like, uh, the, the United States Air Force was the one doing daylight bombing for Europe, and, like, the British concentrated on night bombing, um... And it was just, especially early on, it was, there were just in tremendous losses. Right. Incredibly and dangerous. Part of the other problem was, is that the B-17 bomb purchases had a certain altitude limit in which they could bomb, in which the bomb, bombing itself could be effective. I think, and quote me, if, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, if I'm wrong here, Eric, it was, was it 10,000 or 17,000 feet? I, th- I want to say, or somewhere between 10 and 20, but around there. Yeah. So uh, somewhere around there where, you know, the... They were still high enough off where they would be able to um, to avo- to be able to avoid some of the most you know destructive countermeasures against their bombing, but at the same time, it's still you know they could still be hit by flak fire, and then at the same time, you know German fighters would be able to get up there and shoot them down. And they talk about that as like, and you see that's that's why the B seventeen and bombers like it are just covered in guns, mm-hmm. is because you like you need to be able to cover like, and shoot down enemy fighters from any angle. Right, and they and would the formations they flew. They sometimes they sometimes play with it in this movie. And I think it's just an editing thing. Sometimes it looks like the bombers are real close, but when they do a wide shot, they're actually spaced out correctly. But they would fly in a certain formation that let like you had the maximum visibility for all your guns, and your the other people on your formation could also help cover you. And so it was actually also incredibly dangerous for fighters attacking a bomber formation. Because it's like if you're anywhere near it, there's at least several guns can, that can shoot at you. Right. The other thing is, as well, is that not all of these um, of these bomber squadrons had fighter escorts that ran right. with them. So at some point, I mean, this even happens in the film. Yeah. You know, as they're going into their target, you know, the fighter escorts that they did have at one point in the film have to go. Yeah. And this, the Mustangs peel off. They're like, oh, at least they, they're like, oh, like goodbye, little friends. Yeah, like, goodbye, little friends. And uh, and that that as the war went along, they found out. They they had new new designs and new ways that fighters could escort the bombers longer, but at this point in the war, yeah, it's it's pretty limited, right? Um, but so that's that's why daylight bombing is considered was so dangerous and like there were really high losses. Yeah. All right. Uh, and yes, let's see. So as we mentioned, daylight bombing. Yeah, people are going like, uh, how effective was it really? <laughs> as it turns out later, it's not nearly as much as we would would have liked. Yeah, they 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 made a big point in the movie of just like we gotta look out because there's a school over there and there's oh, a, and <laughs> yes, they're, they're talking like they show the target and it's like the school there's like a school and a hospital that are with they're like a couple blocks away and it's like oh those are gonna be yeah those leveled. are decimated oh yeah they're gonna be d- those, d- those bombs are so like the the bombing runs that in this era are so inaccurate like yeah it would you would just like obliterate an entire area and you just kind of hope to center the area of obliteration over your main target yeah as I understand it's like nearly a mile long. Oh, easily, and so that—that's why in the movie they make this—they make this thing about like, oh no, that's not accurate. They'd be like, uh, yeah, we're just gonna bomb everything in this area. It's the best we can do. Yeah. So, all right. So the officers, are, uh, the officers of the squad squadron are informed the target of the day will be Bremen, Germany. Yeah, they, they have a thing where they're they're hoping that like their last mission is just a milk run. Like they just have to like ferry planes back to France, and then they reveal the mission, and it's like, oh no, you're going into the heart of Germany. And like, oh, this is a really like a dangerous target. After after a delay due to poor weather over the target, the Memphis Bell and her squadron are airborne. They are soon assembled in formation with the bomb group and their escort of North American P fifty one Mustang fighters. Hoorah! They face frequent harassment by defending German. Boy, what are these? Mr. Schmidt one oh nine fighters along the way. And if you're if you're a weirdo like us, you can recognize that. The planes in this are the like weird Spanish made like post war 109s that have been repainted to look like a like a, a 109 circa 1943. <laughs> it's like if you look closely, the nose cowl looks a little there's like little things that look a little bit different. Right. Uh, eventually the escorting fighters low on fuel have to turn away while the bombers continue alone. Yeah. 
Back at base, Harriman and Derringer have harsh words after the latter starts decorating the mess hall for a celebration upon the Bell's return. Derringer accuses Harriman of being cold-hearted and concerned only with advancing his military career. In response, Harriman brings Derringer to his office and angrily dumps a pile of letters on his desk and forces Derringer to read some of them. They were replies Harriman received from the grieving families of lost Aaron. Yeah, so this this is this is definitely like the cheesiest scene in the movie. Yeah, yeah. but it, you know it, it's to, they're they're trying to I can see what they're trying to do. They're trying to touch on like I, I think this is a this is a like movie that was made like they they're trying to appeal to lay people as well as um as well as, as war buffs. You know, those people who are super like history buffs. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, we have to remind people that people die. Oh, yeah, like, well, then just, like, the commander is this total, like, hard-ass, but, like, he's doing it for the right reason, and John Lithgow is just this kind of frivolous idiot. Yeah. Um, yeah. And they, they, they set up ahead of time. They, they kind of give, you kind of learn some about each of the crewmen and their history, and, like, yeah, they're all, like, one guy's the farm boy, and he, like, he helps a farmer with his tractor kind of thing. So they, 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 this is all the attempts, I think, again, to make the movie more palatable to, like, a lay audience. Not to mention the fact to try and humanize some of these people and the characters that they're portraying. Yes. And, I mean, the other part, I don't know, it was kind of weird when they when he was reading the letters, though, and they, the narration was of the people, you know, the authors of the letters themselves. But then you had, like, old war footage. Gun camera you, footage, yeah. Yeah, camera footage that's dated from the, from the war itself, playing in the background. Like, oh. Just B-17s getting shot in pieces. Yeah, it's just like, oh... That's okay. kind of sad. Yeah. This feels weird. I don't know how to feel right now. <laughs> Meanwhile, we go like back to the bomber and they're putting like kick me signs on the back of He's each still, other. Still, yeah, kick me still a virgin. Couldn't get laid last night on yeah. sign on his, on his back. Yeah. yeah. And then like being a dick of just like, oh, a lucky charm. I just threw it out. And like, oh. Well, that's that's the thing in war movies, though. You, I mean, you want to show some like people do like find ways to deal cope with the stress of combat. And mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, but that's all like, it's, it's somewhat, it's a little animal house, but they're very much like, yeah, this is the kind of thing that people would do. Yeah. You know, like the weird basic foreshadowing of just like, oh, you could put that, you should put that harness on and it's just like, oh, but it pinches me. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that couldn't possibly be relevant it's later. Not, yeah. What well, you always, yeah. the, the tur- like my, the ball turret sticks. Yeah. Man, I have to tell you that if there is any place on a plane, that plane I would not want to be. The ball turret. Ball turret. Oh, oh. You, you know, like crouched in a glass sphere that's like dangling beneath the plane, and then like, yeah. Oh and god, that's a nightmare. You're fire. You're you're like holding a gun and firing between your knees. Not to mention, well, not to mention being in the worst possible place if you ever had to do a belly landing, or just like, you're, yeah, well, belly landing, or if, if you had to bail out of the plane. Oh fuck that. So yeah, it's it's ball turret is not a good position to be in. No, it's terrifying actually. Yeah. But so, but it's pretty amazing just to see like that thing actually turn three hundred and sixty degrees. Yeah. Like and like wow, they were able to do that back then. Oh yeah yeah. I mean that's that. I mean they they kind of had to because they like we need like it needs to cover the whole underside of the plane and these people rotate all around. It's so, like the top turret is just like a simple rotating turret. Um, and then yeah, another thing is also remember these planes were not pressurized at this point. Mm-hmm. So, oh. and they mentioned that of just like, hey, you know, it's like negative thirty outside. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. watch yourself. Oxygen mass, you know, the full bombardier, the jackets and the gloves and everything. Yeah. So this it's it's an interesting like they they, they sort of set up like all the tension and how dangerous everything is and everyone's personalities kind of going into this bombing run. So yeah. All right. Meanwhile, the bombers have suffered significant losses. The German interceptors focus their attacks on the leading a- aircraft of the formation. The first lead bomber, Windy City, loses its engine and explodes in front of the bell, piloted by Captain Dennis Dearborn and co-pilot First Sergeant Luke Sinclair. More attacks ensue, and their replacement lead bomber, C Cup, is forced to break formation when its nose is clipped by a BF-109. Yeah, they show that scene of, like, they's like, oh, C-Cup lost the nose, and they look out there, and, like, the whole nose has been blown apart. Like, oh, that plane would just, like, fly itself up, would, like, come to pieces if it was like that. Yeah, just like, uh, how are you? Okay. <laughs> Not a good place to lose. So, so then Memphis Bell is forced to take the lead position, which is, like, the most dangerous position. Right. Yes, they, the crew of the Bell watch in horror when they see airmen fall out of the stricken aircraft without a parachute. Now, one thing <laughs> to note here. So unlike the movie we talked about last week, some of the effects in this film do not 
past the test of time, unfortunately. Yeah. So this is in 1990, and like they, they do actually use a fair number of real flying B-17s in this movie. I think and about four or five. Four or five, and they look, and all the shots like, oh, God, those look great. Yeah. And it's a real, but then like anytime they have to destroy a B-17, it's a very clear like model with big matte lines, and it's just, it just looks so modely. There was one where like it got sliced in half. And yeah. There's... It felt like it was just floating there. It, yeah. yeah, you can definitely see it's like, oh, we got to keep the wires moving, then it doesn't quite work. Yeah, the the the, the cut was just like, yeah. <laughs> so like throwing a plate. Yeah, yeah. I, I get it. This is like, I mean, this was like they're doing what they can in this pre CGI era. Right. There's not there's not like an actual plane they can destroy, and they can't like CGI it. So it's like, well, we just kind of kind of do the best we can with models. And it's it's got the problem of like, unlike in Star Wars, where everything's moving pretty quick, and you can kind of like creatively cut around it. It's just like in this thing, like you got gravity and everything to worry about. So now. You can't just make these dramatic, like, like move, moving, moving shots everywhere. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there's some of the, 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 I think they kept it fairly brief, though. Like, they, 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 like, they cut away from it reasonably quickly. Right. They didn't keep the focus too much on the models themselves. But, I mean, there was definitely, you'd be in the midst of this, you know, intense, uh, intense uh, <laughs> dog fighting, and then all of a sudden, just, like, random yeah. model comes out of nowhere. Oh, no, their model. <laughs> just to me it's hilarious like the guy that just flies is like <laughs> yeah it's a very obvious dummy yeah. the uh after all the other planes go out the bell is then tasked to lead the formation to the target becoming the lead plane in the right. attack how do they figure out who becomes the plane though after the, the a lead plane is out of i think they have a they have like a pecking order established like if 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 lead gets shot down you take the next one if the, if the second lead gets shot down you go in oh they go in with like who's going to be in charge yeah wow so finding the target the aircraft assembly plant proves difficult as bombardier first lieutenant val kozvolsky uh can't see the target because of the smoke screen the germans have created Dearborn escorts the initial bomb, uh, aborts the initial bomb run, and orders the formation to circle around for a second attempt, which frustrates the Bell crew, who have had to endure the ongoing attacks from the Germans. Yeah, the, the, the again another thing like this is like a, a war. Uh, if you have more knowledge of the situation, it's uh, if they can't see the target, they they don't want to drop the bombs, and they they can circle around and make another run, but it's like they just have to. You know, it's more the more, longer they stay there, the more dangerous it is. So the crew are just like, let's just. Let's just say, like, there's too much smoke and we had to abort. And they, they don't want it alone. The captain, the captain is determined that, like, no, we're going to, like, do this correctly. So he orders them to go to circle around. So they go in for a second pass. Which, as I say, is suicide. Yeah. On the second run, Kowalski's spots the assembly plant through the gap in the smoke screen, and the bomber successfully hit the target in what appears to be a whole bunch of stock footage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, once clear of the anti-aircraft fire, they are again attacked by fighters. Staff Sergeant Richard Rascal Moore's ball turret is destroyed, but he is saved by that safety strap. Yes. Woo, safety strap. The attacks continue, blasting a hole in the fuselage, tearing off a large chunk of the tail, and setting the number four engine on fire. Radio operator Sar- Staff Sergeant Danny Danny Boy Daly is wounded in the attack, which puts Kowalski in the difficult position where the crew enlists his self-exaggerated medical expertise okay. to <laughs> save the injured radio man. Yeah, the uh, um, he. Billy Zane's character is like he's like oh I mean I'm the, he, he, everyone thinks he's this great doctor and it turns out like no he was only in med school for like two weeks and then he enlisted so he's in pretending to be this doctor to for fame and like fame and and to like you know so he has to like fake it and everyone's convinced he's a real doctor and they have a whole debate over like do we try to like just keep him alive as best we can or do we like strap a parachute to him and drop him on out of the plane um, so there, yeah there's a couple they 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 set up kind of these little scenes of like. Ways to inc- like that increase kind of the tension of the moment. Like their uh, their their navigator is like is convinced he's gonna die, and when they fly through the wreckage of that plane, like his window gets like scattered with a bunch of like blood from one of the one of the crewmen. So he's he's like convinced he's gonna die, and so there's 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 these little things that they that happen along the way. Yeah, there's a bunch of like this is the only actual injury that happens to the crew like while they're in the air, right? right. Like. like as for everything, there's a ton of like 
close calls that turn out to be like weird and jokey like when the soup explodes where yeah. they're just like oh oh god oh god and they're just like oh none of us actually got hurt it right. was just some soup no, one, one of the middle gunman guys did get shot but it was just a scratch because it bounced off of harmonica right but, but i said they're kind of like jokey, jokey injuries yeah. yeah like no i said this is kind of like pre-private ryan where it's just like oh people are going to die some of it's also just like you have this ensemble, you have so many characters, but you're also stipulated that like they all have to live because that's what happened. But you're also trying to make a dramatic story, so like there's one guy who's injured, but he manages to live. So I, I can see that just being a like a stip, like a, a a like conundrum as far as writing this movie. I'm trying to figure out just like how do you write a a gripping war movie where everyone lives, right? And it's right. still convincing. Uh, let's see. Meanwhile, Dearborn and Sinclair skillfully drop the aircraft into a steep dive to put out the fire, despite great risk of losing the aircraft. Yeah, they, they like one of the engines is on fire, and the, the the like the fire suppression system has failed. So they 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 put it out by sending the plane into a dive, and that'll that forces so much air through it that it can it can it can put out the fire. And it also, I think, I think if you also not feeding fuel into it, like it'll the 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 centrifugal force will, like force the fuel out of the lines, and so it'll stop feeding the fire. Right, um, and so they they you know they pull out of it at the last second because those bombers aren't can't maneuver very fast or very far, so they manage to just barely recover from the dive, and so that's that's the, the next like danger out of the way. Yes, as the B seventeen limps closer to base, Dearborn orders the landing gear dropped, but only one wheel descends due to electrical failure caused by battle damage. And as we saw at the very beginning of the movie, if you don't have your landing gear, you die. Well, yes. that's. That one is a little weird. Like the, another, like the, the opening of the movie is like one of the flights returns, and one of the planes tries to belly land, and then it just and it just explodes. Which, yeah, that could happen. But it, like they they especially like they, like they make a big thing. He's like he's almost got the landing gear down. He's almost got it down, and it's like they, you could they would probably be able to belly land that. Yeah, not to mention the fact that it's again a typical Hollywood level explosion of just like. Yeah, the, unreasonable amount of flames. Well, yeah, the, yeah, the B seventeen at the end explodes despite it, its fuel tanks would be almost empty, right? And we have no bombs in it and everything. So, and any of the ammunition that would be on there is already. I mean, it certainly was a dangerous situation, but yeah, they, they kind of like artificially hype up the end of how dangerous it is. Yeah, yeah. and then did a little foreshadowing of like, could it happen to them? Even though we know historically it does not. Right, this movie, you know what happens at the end of this. Right. So, as said, only one wheel descends due to electrical failure, but the crew are able to manually lower the malfunctioning wheel just before landing. The ground crew and humbled Lieutenant Colonel Derringer race to greet them with jubilant cheers. The crew exits the battled bomber and celebrate their victory with Daly on the ambulance. Yep. And that's the movie. Yep, it yep. ends. It ends and it has a happy ending. And I'll, you know... Happy stories. So, so I think for like, I'll I'll just get right into it. Like, what this movie for me was, you know, my family growing up with this kind of in my background. Our family played a lot of like, you know, real OG like computer games, like old World War II flight simulators. And I always remember Secret Weapons of the Luftwaffe, which like, <laughs> which the acronym is is S uh, is S W O T L, and and so like we I played this on you know DOS and everything, so it's all on floppies. And so to play this game, I had to run swotl.exe. So we always called it Swaddle. Um, and in that game, if you played as the Americans, you could fly a B-17. And part of it was you'd be flying, and then you could, like, there were buttons, and you could hop around to every different gun position and control the gun yourself. And so that's always, like, as a kid, like, that was always so cool. And then, you know, we watched the movie Memphis Bell, and you see all the guys in the various positions, and then you play the game, and it's like, oh, this is, like, what it's like. And so that was always, like, that was the, that's the nostalgia element for me. And it's definitely a movie I've seen with my family like a million times. Let's see. Uh, I'm reading through the historical accuracy part of it. Uh, one thing that I did find out is that the Memphis Bell's 25th mission actually was not Bremen. Right. Uh, Bremen was uh, a little bit earlier in, probably like its 2021st mission. Its uh, final mission was actually going to Lorraine, France, France, before it was flown back to the United States. Right. And so they, they, they even talk about that at the end. They're like, oh, I hope the last mission is France. And that might be a kind of a sarcastic reference to it, but it's like, yeah, of course, this is the, they want to make the movie dramatic, so it's like, coach, like we're like we got we got one more mission, and it's like the hard, the hardest mission yet, and so yeah, they they fictionalized that. Yeah, it was uh, as Robert Egert said, entertaining yet filled with familiar wartime cliches. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's cheesy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I would say I like I think this is I think this is like an enjoyable movie. 
and uh, it like we were saying uh, before, earlier, this is interesting to watch as this is a pre-Saving Private Ryan war movie, and yeah. that like it touches on things, but like back then movies just didn't get into like the real like awful parts of the war, like the the injury that the uh, that the the guy suffers, like. Even when they peel it back, it's the usual like movie injury where it's like, oh, uh, that sure red. does look red. There's some red there. Yeah, yeah it's like because I think between like Schindler's List and Saving Private Ryan were two like well-known movies about this period that like actually showed you like, oh wow, this is like really horrible. Um, so yeah, this is this is a, a, a it's it's got a little bit of America raw raw kind of thing. Um, it doesn't. It doesn't. You it doesn't. You don't see any of the Germans really. You just. They're only ever just planes on the, in the yeah, sky. They're they're, yeah. they're the ground or planes. Yep. They right. are. They are the evil Nazi, Germans. Nazis the evil Nazis. Their, Nazis in their natural habitat. Exactly. Um, and so this is yeah. This it's cheesy and it's definitely cliched. Uh, it's I I, I think overall it's a, it's a fairly well made movie, and it's just one of those ones where like. For all the movie's flaws, you gotta like it, especially if you're a war buff. It's like, oh, it's it's, it's the B-17 movie. You get to co- see cool, flying, actual B-17s. Uh, you get to kind of see that experience. Um, I've flown on a B-24 when it came to Moffett Field here, uh, which was real, real, a lot of fun, and I got to go inside the B-17, get to go all around, you, you can crawl around through most of it, and it's like, it kind of shows in the movie, but it's like really cramped in those planes. Mm-hmm. To, to get to the bombardier's position where you are... You're, he's like laying on his stomach and you have to like crawl through like a metal tube uh, to get to it. So it's very cramped and claustrophobic. So it's a lot of fun. Martin, what was your feelings? I mean, I'm a little bit with Eric here. It's like it, there's a lot of Americana, hoorah, hoorah, look at us fighting the war against the Nazis kind of deal to it. There is a lot of that um, piece to it. I mean, some of the combat scenes were enjoyable. I think I the immersion for me was just torn off when I saw the models. Some of it also, like, yeah, they're, they're, like just because of the logistics of filming a World War II a kind of air combat-centric movie at the time are very difficult. So, like, I can see this is one of those, like, the editors really had to sit down and, like, really work with the footage they got. Yeah. Because the combat scenes are a lot of, like, you know, cut of them, like, firing a gun, and then we gotta get, like, a shot of a 109 flying past, and they'd have to stitch these together. So there's no, like, there's no cool, big, like, sweeping exterior scenes. No, and I mean, the other part of it as well is that, you know, and Eric and I were talking about this previously, was that we had both seen Dunkirk recently, and we had <laughs> seen some of the combat that was done there, and just, you know, then going back to this film, it just... It's kind of a it's it's, def, it's a definite switch that you have to make to be able to kind of see it in the period lens, really, and and, and note that you know the resources that they had for being able to kind of recreate aerial combat were not what we have now. Right. And then the other piece of it too, that to me was just a little, um, I guess, was just a little typical. It like some of the characters, yeah, there were some very common tropes of wartime movies that follow, like the you know the farmer, the you know the the the, the um. The, the sergeant who has who wants to bring them all back to work for his furniture store so he can continue ordering <laughs> I, them around. I, I like that scene. That was really funny. Yeah, the, the banter, the banter between all of the different um, all of the different soldiers there, and then the PR guy, you know, who's totally trying to exploit their image for the war and yeah, you know, just just stealing the authenticity of the war just to you know promote war bond sales. I mean, it's all all that like I kind of get, and it just there's like a bit of campiness to it. Uh, that I I have a little bit of trouble getting through, but overall it was fun. I yeah, mean, it's it's not quite to the like Kelly's Heroes level of campiness, but but there, it's there. It's yeah. there. There's elements of it. I, I did like that scene where they're they're teasing the captain because he's saying like, like, "What are you guys doing after the war?" It's like you know my family owns a furniture business. You'll come work for me, and they're all like, <laughs> and they all start teasing him. It's like, yeah, this is what we want: is you ordering us around for the rest of our lives. It's like. Keep your eyes out for German fighters the whole time. Yeah, not to mention like the captain always doing these like you know the the uh, the, the officer role of like keep out keep an eye out for those German fighters. He's super proper yeah. and by the book. And yeah, the exactly. So regiment like so regimented, and it's just like that was a little Germany. But then I actually the dance though that was earlier in the film that was I actually kind of enjoyed the music there. I was like, mm. I mean, they do kind of a jazz version of Danny Boy. Yeah, and they sing Amazing Grace, and yeah, it's it's very it's very good period stuff. Good period stuff. All the da- all the people dancing over there, doing all kinds of crazy stuff, jumping so, and jiving, jumping and jiving. Not the same kind of dancing we had these days. No, no twerking. I liked I, I liked the 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 one officer like they they, they they at some point in the dancing they're showing all the various officers like hitting on various British women who are there and the one guy is just like describing like how he how he prepares his meat. 
<laughs> oh yeah, that was all right. American heroes, everyone. <laughs> oh yes. Uh, God, uh, Sabrina, your feelings. Um, I thought it was a decent wartime movie. I mean, I grew up watching a lot of wartime movies, so they're they're all kind of like similar. And I don't know. I didn't think this one was any particular special or anything. I mean, I've seen a lot of them, so it, yeah. it's hard for me to like be like, well, that was a really good like. It, it's just it's hard because when you see so many of them, they kind of have like the same they feeling. Yeah, um, I think it was cool that it did focus on the B-17s, which most of the movies I grew up watching focused on like ground soldiers, ground, yeah. yeah, the soldiers and stuff, which. You know, that's fine with me. That's basically what my dad was. He was in the army. So right. that was more reminiscent of what would have happened if he had ever gone to war. And I, I knew you liked, uh, you'd watched more movies as a kid and everything. And this, like you're saying, yeah, this is, this is very much, it's, it's not breaking any new ground like no. as a movie, no. right. but it's, it's the B-17 movie. That's yeah. why it's noteworthy. So, yeah. So that, that's the one thing that was going for it. And I am familiar with the Memphis Bell because I do like to look at, um, I liked looking at the pinups they put up on the planes. <laughs> yeah. So that oh, one had yeah. come up like a lot. It's definitely one of the more, um, I guess, l- let's just put it this way. I've seen ones where they put full nude women on their planes. So this one was definitely a plane where I was like, oh, they're still being tasteful, which was kind of nice. They didn't really have to, but they did. They made it tasteful. What would be the story if you went back home to that girl and be like, I put a nude version of you on a plane? Well, I was shooting the Germans. Well, I don't think they <laughs> used their actual girls as the mascots. The um, I read something where I guess they knew someone from Esquire who sent them an image from a previous issue of that magazine. So that image is from a magazine, apparently. Yeah, and Sean Austin could just use any of his, like... Sean Astin. Astin could use any of the ones on his wall since yes. he had, like... Because he's the Joker well, character. Well, yeah. they, they, they showed that the other men also had pinups on their wall. But he had a wall of pinups. Yeah, yeah it's like literally. Yeah. I mean, this is like the ball turret gunner is definitely like the horniest member of the crew. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, his position is the ball turret. Yeah, he's, yeah. he's in there. Yeah, he's <laughs> deep in the ball. He's also the shortest one there. <laughs> Making up for stuff. I, he, he's an enjoyable dumb character. Yeah. <laughs> This is this is ages before going around saying Mr. Frodo. So yeah, right. It's 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 a funny contrast in which he's played very straight as Samwise Gamgee, Mr. Frodo. Uh, and yeah, I think I'll just finish saying it's. I think is just a war movie. It's 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 a serviceable one. It's it, it doesn't do much like. It doesn't do anything spectacular, but it also does exactly what it needs to do. Yeah, and it's and like I was saying, it's just it's the B seventeen movie. It's yep. the thing about the Memphis Bell, and uh, I have heard I, I I've heard I don't know what where it is in the production, but there's supposed to be a new like World War Two miniseries by the same people who did Band of Brothers and the Pacific. That's going to be up about the Eighth Air Force which is what this is about. So I'm like, oh, I'm like that. That I'm, I will be very excited to watch that because. Like, I think I've said before why, why Dunkirk was so... One of the reasons Dunkirk was so cool for me was, like, here's a movie with some, like, hot air combat action in it, and, like, you don't see that in a lot of movies. Well, I thought there was a series that focused on air combat. Wasn't it called The Black Sheep or something like that? Maybe. Mm. I mean, there were attempts at it, but, like, a real, like, a, a one to the level of Dunkirk where the, you really get to see I everything. Mean- I don't remember. It was so long ago, but I think around the that the time they did the Band of Brothers, they put one out of that focused on the bombers. Oh, you know what? It might have been for World War One, not World War Two. I oh. think that's yeah. why. I think that's There's what I'm thinking of. There's a movie called like Flyboys or something. I remember hearing that one was not very good. But There's also another one for like the the. Tuskegee oh, that's Red Tails. That, Red Tails. That movie is a disaster. Yeah, that was so bad. It's like George Lucas's like. It's naive racism, like like in maximum form. Mm. Um, it's yeah. So there, I mean, there were attempts at it, and there is another like if other people in this, if you've watched this genre, if you've seen uh, Battle of Britain, I'd say this is better than Battle of Britain. And then also kind of um, like you're in the '80s, there was a series called Piece of Cake, uh, which I'm we really should do on this show. Although it's it's like imagine this, like imagine like a realistic version of this that was also very British. Um, that's a good. That's actually that's a very good series as far as historical versus being in, an interesting story. Um, but so there were attempts at this, and so that's why I'm like I'm excited for like 
if like all the good parts of Band of Brothers, but applied to like the Eighth Air Force mm-hmm. and like modern graphics and all this other stuff uh, working on it. That's why I love Dun- one of the reasons I love Dunkirk so much, and why I'd be like, oh, I'm excited for this series. Yeah. yeah, high five for Dunkirk. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think Saving Private Ryan really changed the way we yeah. do war movies, and I I kind of appreciate what it did. Like I loved. I didn't get to watch all of it, but uh, I did watch a good amount of Band of Brothers, and it was a, a really good series that had the same feel, and it was very serious. Yes, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it didn't, and it didn't like try it and soften it out and make it easy for you. It was like this is war, this is what it's like. Deal with it, right? Yeah, yeah. The, but there was also moments of brevity in it. Yes, too. yes. levity. Yeah, yeah. Did I say brevity? Yes. Ah, fuck. It's a long series, so it's not brevity. Levity, 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 levity. And it's just the idea of like let's like let's not shy away and try to like and and, like let's make it more realistic and not in like a purient sense and like like oh let's just have lots of gore in it. It's like no, No. it's yeah. It's like watching Superman Ryan and Band Brothers. It's not fun. No, it's not supposed it's to be interesting, but it's like especially seeing Private Ryan, especially like oh, oh man. yeah, that they really punched you in the gut with some of those, especially when they first land on Normandy yeah. Beach. Oh my god, yeah, I've, so that, I've still never seen it, so it's on our list. Movie. I'm not yeah. sure if you. I'll, I'll power through it. It's. I mean, it's it's an it's a movie, and parts of it are kind of like. Hollywood eyes. Well, right. no, I, I mean, she, he has the blood phobia yeah, thing, though, so right, I'm a right, little yeah. concerned about that because there's a little bit more than just blood. I, I'll, I'll power through it. I'll, okay. I'll find okay. a way. Okay. I, I know there's gray matter. I know there's intestines. I've heard I've heard plenty. Yeah, the, yeah man, the, 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 in parts of the Pacific, Pacific was kind of a flawed series. It was not nearly as good as Brandon Brothers, mm. but the scenes when they're on like Iwo Jima and stuff like, oh, man. Oh, Those I are tough. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like that one would be really tough to watch because... So that was some of the most, like, uh, like for the, especially for the Americans, that's some of, like, the most awful yeah. stuff imaginable going on there. Yeah. Right. Um, some of the worst battles happened over there. And yeah. so, like, th- that's why, like, this, this movie is interesting to see in that, in that context of, like, this is not, like, a, this is not, like, a cheesy action movie nor is it like a super gritty, realistic, like Band of Brothers kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's a weird middle ground. Yeah. Right. All right. And if uh, last call for any last thoughts. Yeah, it's a movie. If like, uh, I'd, I'd say this is one of those ones where it's just like, if, if you're interested in World War II and you haven't seen this movie yeah. or history, it's like, yeah, I'd say this is, a, this is a, a fine movie to watch. It's not very long. It's only like an hour and a half. Yeah, it's probably not a must-see, but I'd say if, you're, if, if war movies, if you know airplanes, if any of those things kind of do it for you, then I'd yeah. say watch it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I just, I just wish it was a bit more historically accurate. That that that's my thing. If, I wa- if I'm watching a war movie, especially about a war that actually happened... Try to make it as accurate as possible. Yeah, the characters yes. are totally made up. That's the, yeah. that's the thing that kills me. That's what I'm watching it for. I'm watching it to experience the hit. Um, I'm watching it to experience history. So if you're telling me I'm watching something that's just based on the plane, but everyone right. there is fictional, these aren't the actual people that were there. I don't feel like it's a real experience. I, I think the uh, I think if you're gonna do that, like the the DOS boot approach. Where it's 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 a fictional sub. It's all the story in Das Boot is based is like a collection of different stories that are kind of meld together. But they make a point of like a lot. Most of the characters don't have names mm-hmm. in Das Boot, and it, it's just very like it, it's it goes way fo- more for like an artistic approach to it. Mm-hmm. Whereas like yeah, you're saying this this wants to look historical, but then they fictionalize it a lot. So. I think I think it's okay to fictionalize it and stuff if you're going for a more like artistic approach. Right, but this right. was not an artistic a, movie. A more of a Werner Herzog approach. Yes, no. and, and that would be the second time in uh, in two weeks that we would recommend a German movie. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, we we are 100% doing Das Boot because that's an, that between I think Das Boot and Memphis Bell are the two like war movies I remember watching as a kid like very clearly. Mm-hmm. Mm. And it's a, it's also a good movie. Uh, I'll have to give you some preparation in advance because even the like theatrical cut is like I think just over three hours and includes the soundtrack of Neverending Story. Yeah, it's yeah. also in there. Oh god, it's going to be like Bonus the points. Green Beret. It has the Green Beret syndrome, is what it is. Dust Boot, I think, like, but D- Dust Boot is very like it's very tense and dramatic. Mm. Right. It's uh, and it, it's that's that's an anti-war movie. It's like it, it also shows it. And is it's like oh yeah, being in a submarine would be really bad. It, no, I agree. Being in a submarine would be really bad. Yep. I would never enlist in the navy. Just be in the Kriegsmarine. Yep. 
All right, and I think that'll go ahead and take care of us for this week. That has been Memphis Bell, not the Memphis Bell. That yeah, that's is a the documentary. documentary. Um, but yeah, thank you, uh, thank you all very much uh, for listening this week, and we hope you enjoyed this. Next week we are doing my choice, <laughs> the best choice. Josh again, Josh going for a punt here. Mm-hmm. Just, you like, know, yeah. I'm. Yeah, you, you, just hey, teeing up. You gave me, you gave me some grief for never-ending story, <laughs> but UHF. We'll bring it all back together. The Weird Al Classic. This is the this is the podcast equivalent of buying everyone a beer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hey, one <laughs> rounds on me. Woo! All right, boys, let's go. <laughs> just like build up as much goodwill as if I'm preparing for something. As if you're, yeah, <laughs> as if there's this like as if you're you're prepare you you have to go fast towards some sort of <laughs> choice we have in the future, and I'm sure. I'm gonna like have to bring a spear to like well, kill you with. You yeah. said gotta go fast, so yeah, yeah. I mean, we gotta get some gold wings. I have, here. I have a feeling it's gonna have to be November because we've got October coming up, and so we have to do Ooh. our October choices. Yeah, I'm gonna bring you like a pile of brass rings and just like, here, you want some of these? Or fucking throw in your face. <laughs> Uh, so we'll have those November, December. So we've got a bunch of good, uh, good seasonal podcasts that are going to be. Coming oh yeah! Up. As, the, as the holiday season approaches, you get to see uh, some more of my picks. We're going to be returning to a, a early Saturday oh, Friends Club classic. Oh boy! <laughs> and, uh, uh, and some other ones. Is, is Vern going to be involved? He's not in this. Oh okay, not that one. All right. It's, it, wait, is it Vanilla Ice? Is there a Vanilla Ice Halloween movie? No, no, movie? It, we, like, I, I'm like, oh, this is pitching way in advance, but my submission for October is definitely going to be Ernest Scared of Stupid. Oh, okay. I knew it. I knew it was an Ernest thing. Either that or it was going to be Big Money Russell is one of the two. <laughs> well, that's all. That's always the threat. That's always <laughs> looming. The, that is the sort of Damocles for this you podcast. Just, I'll never be mad about an Ernest movie, so I'm okay with this. We, we have watched and will watch worse in this podcast. <laughs> oh, absolutely. So, so, yeah. I mean, I did put you guys through Ray's X Roughnecks. That was, a, that was fun bad, though. I, it's more like I watch it like oh fuck, and then we get to the podcast and like we get to really just like put you put the irons to you. Yeah, oh, so it's the it's the opportunity to needle our friends. Yeah, yes. Indeed. I mean, as I'm going to encounter soon. So. Yes. Oh yes. Literally. Yep. yep. All right. Uh, well, it takes care of us. So you can find us over at satfriendsclub.com, uh, Twitter over at uh, at satfriendsclub as well. That's right. And uh, yep. we do have the Patreon. If you do like this show so much that you're able able to show just a little bit of patronage to us. One dollar would do so much to help us. We got new equipment that I'm sorting out so we can handle as many people as we can. Uh, we can get f- remote friends to be part of the show. Uh, you know, we're I'm constantly trying to strive and make things better for you and make the show better. Uh, and you can feel free to reach out and give us suggestions. There's yeah. an email thread uh, that you can use over at satfriendsclub.com or you can use Twitter to reach out to us. Uh, but yeah, you have that. We have the Patreon rewards. I need to make a new uh, of the the uh, pre-show roll to post up there for you guys uh, so you can hear all of our our, our extended banter. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And that is pretty much it. Yep. Thank you all this week for joining in. We'll join you next week for more fun with Weird Al's weird little movie, <laughs> UHF. Oh all right, till then, sleep well, everyone. And buy war bonds. <laughs>